This episode is brought to you by the Christian Culture Builders Group on Facebook and MeWe. Believers in Jesus optimistically working to create great commission hubs for the propagation of the gospel, the furthering of Christ's kingdom, and the emergence of robust, fruitful Christian culture. We work through the three spheres of authority, the family, the church, and the state, and the pillars of influence in society to make it happen. Check out the Christian Culture Builders Group on Facebook or MeWe today. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective, with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now, get ready to think. First things first, I am in the new studio. We've got the Think Institute study up and running in our new home in the Tri-Cities area of Chicagoland, about an hour outside of Chicago. And uh, very excited, as you can see, I'm surrounded by my beautiful, wonderful, books and i'm so i'm so grateful to god for that um but we're not here to talk about books we are here to talk about something much more nefarious although actually it does have its basis in a book one particular book and we're going to probably talk about that a little bit but let's first give a brief introduction to our topic now as recently as five years ago the word socialism was still considered a byword It was uh, not something that any mainstream political candidate, or at least very few, would have wanted to have um, as a title in front of his or her name. Today, however, it's a different story. Socialism is gaining in popularity, even among evangelical Christians. So what should Christians make of socialism and its cousin, communism? How do these economic systems, which fall under the banner of Marxism, fit within the bounds of the biblical worldview, if at all? To help us grasp a biblical perspective on communism, socialism, and Marxism, my guest today is Gabor Grace. Gabor, who has his THM from Karoli Gaspar University in Budapest, grew up in communist Hungary, not hearing or knowing anything about Jesus. He became a believer at age 13 and was one of the first students, get this, to get involved in the underground ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew Stateside. And this was during communism in 1983 and 1984. He's the co-founder and co-author of the Bible-based educational program called Youth at the Threshold of Life, YTL. And that program is used in 62 countries to train thousands of educators and expose them to the gospel, including in communist countries as well. Gabor is also the co-author with Dave Robinson of the book, The Outrageous Promise. I've read it. Great book. Highly recommend it. Gabor served as the national director for Crew Hungary between 2004 and 2017 and is currently serving on the Crew City team to help develop new evangelistic strategies and expand YTL globally, influencing the education domain of the society. As as a, a listener of this show, you know that education is a major buzzword around here a major passion, and so that's something that's very exciting. Gabor is an ordained Presbyterian minister and the co-founder and church planter of Rose Garden Baptist Church in Budapest. He joins me today to talk about communism and socialism from a biblical perspective. So without any further ado, let's bring on Gabor Grace to the show. Gabor, welcome. Oh, I got you muted. Sorry, there we go. Yeah. Hey, thank you for inviting me and having me on the show. Well, um, you know, I've been very much looking forward to this conversation for a long time. And uh, full disclosure for those who don't know, Gabor is my boss. So uh, he's 
He's one of the leaders of crew church movements based down in St. Louis. And um, ever since I first started hearing about his story and um, just the incredibly unique things that he and his wife and um, Dave Robinson and everybody have been doing through crew, I thought, man, this is, this is really a story I need to hear more about. So um, Gabor, could you tell us where did you grow up and what was life like growing up? Yeah, well, I grew up in, in Hungary um, under communism. All my education took place under the, the communist regime. And um, it, um, um, you know, came from a broken home. But but the bottom line is that that uh, I was 13 years old when I first, first heard the name Jesus. So I grew up completely atheist home. Wow. Uh, and never heard about Jesus. My parents got a divorce. But the communism completely destroyed our whole family. So actually for generations, what happened is that because of, of, uh, of communism, um, you know, we had my, the brother of my grandfather, my grandmother spent 11 years in the Soviet gulags, which is the concentration camp in Russia. Then uh, wow. we had family members murdered, uh, just taken away, like, um, uh, an uncle of my m mom, um, who was 23 years old at the time, the communists just took him and shot him. And then they were so cruel that that they sent back the the jacket that he he wore, and with the bullet holes to his mom. And um, you know, searching the homes that was very common, or or um, you know, all kinds of ways of. I mean, I I have the the letter. Or the, the doc, not a letter. It, it's a document that uh, in 1954 or 55, I guess, that's the date when my um, my father and my grandmother and my grandfather got a um, um, a document from the government that they need to leave behind their whole house. They can only take a, a suitcase with them because they're going to give their home to someone else, and what? they and and they will deport it to the countryside to live in a very tiny home with two other families. And they, they had to work, you know, kind of a forced labor work. Now, um, who is this? This was your grandmother? That's my, that's my father and my grandfather. Wow. So it, it just, you know, what happened is that, you know, normal families who had wealth or who had some kind of life, uh, you know, communists came and they took literally everything and they made, made us dirt poor. And not just that, but but you know if they did not like someone, they they you know they took them, they imprisoned them, or murdered them. Um, so so that that was so growing up, you know, as a kid, I did not really understand that. the The only thing I understood that that every kid had to be a part of the 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 pioneers. That's the young communist, you know, for for middle school kids and um mm. and they you know we we were really limited and i mean there was no free speech or 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 free media or free travel um the food was you know when i when i when i was little the there was so-called meat stamps so they they gave out stamps how much meat you can get in a week because because they, they they were not enough 
meet in the in, in the country. I mean, I know I, I remember so well that that whenever there was a, a huge line on the street, uh, I I knew that they were selling bananas because that was just like so rare. Or really, yeah. So when when you you went into a store, you could get bread, one kind of cheese, one kind of something else, and that was it. So it's it's not a it, it's it's not a, a very pleasant system. <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah, understatement of the year. Well, so so it was like this. So what if you don't mind me asking, what year were you born? 67. So you're born in 67, mm -hmm. which was, um, let's see, what, 13 to 15 years into the communist rule there? In uh, the communists came into power in Hungary in, after the Second World War. Okay. So, uh, they actually counterfeited the election in 47. And that's how they came into power. Really? Yeah. Could you talk about that? Well, I mean, I don't know much about that. The details but but what happened is just they they just rigged the election and and um they became into power and they never they never i mean after that for 40 plus years they were in power with the with the help of the of the soviet army because the soviet army the sec after the second world war you know were um were in hungary and and after that they you know, they established the Iron Curtain. It's called, it was a physical border, a physical Iron Curtain um, that was at the border of Hungary and, and um, Austria and all the way up to the, to the north, separating Eastern and Western, uh, Eastern, Western and Eastern Germany as well. So you couldn't, you couldn't cross over the border no. to Austria. There, there were, you could get, uh, permission, you know, there were two kinds of passports we had. One passport was was good to travel within the Soviet bloc. So we could go to other communist countries. Once a year, we could travel there. But not, not outside. Not, uh, okay. Outside, if you wanted to go outside of the communist bloc, you had to have a, a different kind of passport. And um, you could get that every third year a permission but it was really difficult to get it and um uh and then you would get only i mean you could change over only 50 dollars okay um for hard currency i mean it's it was called hard hard currency which was like dollar or dutch mark okay or 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 british pound and you could only take that much with you out of the well, country. Yeah, because because you know we did not have those, so that's all what they they were they were willing to give us, or they were they were allowing us to buy, no matter how much money you had. Mm -hmm. Now you you couldn't because you could not have your own enterprises or your own business under okay. communism. It you know, pretty much people everybody lived in the same level of poverty. Okay. Yeah. Everybody except for the except the for government the, except rulers. government leaders, right? You know, everybody is equal, but some people are more equal. <laughs> right, George Orwell's yeah, animal, George Orwell. right? So it's it was really typical uh, to to have that, but but the reality is that that 
most people lived in, in, in the same level. And what happened is that, you know, if, if you wanted to buy something, like for instance, you wanted to buy a car, now there were only a limited type of cars available and uh, mainly manufactured in the Soviet bloc, but you had to wait five to seven years for the right to buy the car. So you had to pay the money when you said, well, I want to have a car five years from now, you pay the price for the government and you know the whole whole amount and you waited five, seven years to get the car. What? Yeah. So, that's that's insane. <laughs> it, well, yeah, it's it just it's it's uh that's what happens when the government controls all the production. So the government controlled the means of production and uh you and your family now, did you live in Budapest? Uh, uh, Buda, yes. How, how many pronounce that correct? Is it Budapest? Budapest. Yes. Budapest. And you lived in the city or did you live well, I mean in, in my first 12 years, well almost 13, I lived in in a in a town we have a, a beautiful lake called Bolaton and and there was a there was a town there that's where that's where I lived but uh, my parents marriage um, you know went south and they got a divorce and um, you know there were all kinds of problems I first I stayed with my my father and my mother uh, and my sister was with my my mother but my father was very abusive so when I was almost 13 I ran away from my father you know, up to the capital, which is Budapest, and okay. it's a, it's a it's a whole other story. But but I have not seen my father after that for nine years, and mm -hmm. that's that's when I met with Christ. So so that was a huge year for you. You moved out of your home. You moved to Budapest, yeah. and how did you come to hear about Jesus, whom you had never heard about before right. in your life, which is absolutely amazing as someone who grew up in the states surrounded by christians growing up in the church how did you come to hear about jesus well um my stepfather you know my my mother's second husband my stepfather had a um had a cousin who was a believer and okay. he was the first one who talked to me about god that that he's a a loving father who cares for me who loves me and and um, first I thought that who are you? I mean, I've never heard, never met anyone in my life who believed in God. I mean, I mean, it, it was just like unimaginable to me that someone believes in God. I never heard the name Jesus. So when this guy talked to me about you know God, I thought that this guy came from the moon. I mean, but I really wanted to experience to have a loving father because of my of my upbringing and, and and the abusiveness of my father uh and when when this guy told me that god can become my heavenly father who loves me who cares for me who is not abusive who's who wants the best for me then i you know with with doubts in my heart i said a prayer that god if you really exist i want you to be my father and god took that more seriously than than I did, and, and he he really proved himself to be a, a loving father, and he healed me from. I was really sick. I mean, the doctors uh, projected that by the age of eighteen, I'm going to be dead. Um, wow. it, there were so, a lot of lot of health issues. Um, it's just a long story, but the Lord really rescued me uh, from from a really 
dire situation where where uh, I faced with terrible terrible abuse with you know not a lot of uh, potential for life when I was in eighth grade the the teacher told my mom that this kid is so dumb that don't even think to send him to to high school <laughs> so it, <laughs> yeah I mean it, it was just like that's how far uh, I was behind because of the abusiveness of my of my dad and because of the whole oppressive situation but in one year the Lord made so much change in my life uh, that when I went to high school so I you had to apply for high school and you had to take an exam so it was not like automatic okay and um, it was like college is now it's right like, and it's yeah, it yeah. just it was just like a miracle that I got in in Budapest you know in the capital into a, mm. a pretty good high school but I remember I I became you know stronger and stronger in my faith and and it was required um, for back then it was required for high school students to join the young communist party okay and that, that was that was a, a requirement and I remember telling my my um uh, the the school principal that I'm not going to join that because I'm I'm a believer and he he said that he you cut your own throat he I mean, said that you said that you cut your own throat you're never going to go to any university ever in this country okay wait uh, so question about that then so you became a believer mm -hmm. and and experienced you know, you talked about the appeal of God as a non-abusive father, as a loving father. Now, how, many today, and we're going to talk about this, I know, Gabor, but many today would argue that Marxism, communism, these are actually things that are compatible with Christianity. So how did you, as a young Christian living in a communist society, how did you see a conflict between your Christianity and joining, you know, the, the communist um, pioneers or the communist group? Well, I said, I, I mean, I, I knew that I cannot join. Why was that? Because I, I mean, it, it was it was so clear to me that that they are worshiping a materialist god. They don't worship God. Mm. They, they, I mean, everywhere in our classrooms, uh, we had a picture of Lenin. We had a picture of Marx. And, and 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 the the motto was that Lenin lived and lives and Lenin will live forever, and I knew that that's not true. I mean, Jesus is the eternal God, hmm. and I I can't compromise there. I mean, it, it was just I don't know. I I did not have a a very crystal clear, you know. At, at fourteen, you don't have a a clear theology. You just in your heart, you just know that if you follow Jesus, you you can't worship other gods. Did they actually, when they said Lenin and, and, lived, and, and and they were they were anti-God. You know, they were publicly anti-God. Okay, so that was ingrained into the communist yeah. worldview. Oh yeah. Now, when they said Lenin lived, lives, and will live forever. Was that metaphorical? Do they expect you to understand that literally as though Lenin is actually alive somewhere or was it his ideas or it, like it, as an archetype? Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's an archetype or it's an idea, but I don't know if you, if you recall that, but for years, you know, his body 
was was presented in the crown. That's right. So yes. People were just walking by and they worshiped that. Wow. It was like, I mean, that's something that's incompatible with the Bible. Right. And, right. and it's it just they they deny and they speak against the God that I follow and I love, who is my heavenly father. So how could I join even even if it's and, and listen, I mean, I don't judge. I mean, a lot of a lot of a lot of Christians joined the Young Communist Party because that was the only way that's that was for them the only way to to go to university or that's the only way they thought they can they can su succeed in life. OK, and, and, and it was I'm, I'm not saying it's a it's a it's a dire compromise or it's a it's a deadly compromise. It's something that I felt I cannot I can't do it. Okay, you know what you're describing right now reminds me of there was a um, there was a controversy recently involving a prominent New York City pastor and a Washington D.C. pastor, and the compromise was coming from people who were conservative, and someone had looked up the fact that uh, these pastors were registered Democrats, and now this is not me endorsing or condemning either any candidate or anything like that. But the controversy, um, what came out of the controversy, so the long and short of it was the the person who called out these pastors said, don't you know this is the party that believes this and that and this and the other thing? How could you align yourselves with them? And I'm not as interested in that argument as I am in their defense. The defense was, look, we live in these cities where 99% of the votes are going to Democratic uh, um, candidates and um, we have to be registered so that we can vote in the primaries. It's the only way we're going to have any control or influence at all in, um, you know, in who rules us and who governs us. And I'm wondering, and a lot of people very much understood that. they, If you look, if you read the comments on Twitter, they're like, you know, actually that makes sense. It's kind of a pragmatic argument. Um what do you, what are your thoughts on that, Gabor? Um, not in terms of Democrat, Republican or anything like that, but um, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about aligning yourself even on paper with sort of the dominant ideology in order to be able to influence that group or that party from within? Is that, um, it's a little different than what you're talking about with these people wanting yeah, to go yeah. to college, but but what are your thoughts on that? Well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm an outsider in the U.S., we just moved here four years ago or three and a half years ago. So, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not an expert in any way of, of what's going on in the country. I'm on, I'm a, um, uh, how would I say it? a frightened observer, <laughs> you know, uh, right. that there are a lot of things that I'm, I'm concerned of and, and I don't want to comment on, on Democrats or Republicans. Right. And neither do I. Uh, so, so I, I don't want to go there. The the only and the the real communism. I mean, in in this country, you guys have not experienced, hopefully yet and probably forever, real communism. I hope. Okay. Now there there are you know different values that different parties and different groups are promoting. But but I can tell you, you know, real communism is. It's it's pure evil. It's mm. it's out of the the pit of hell. Mm. And 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 I can tell, and we can talk about that. Why I 
think the root of the philosophy and, and the whole idea is so unbiblical and why it's, and, and, and it, it just shows, you know, just look at where it led to. Look at where, where I mean, this, the philosophy of Marx, and, and it's, it's more complex than Marx because it's all the 18th, 19th century philosophies. There were, there were a line of, of, of major philosophers, you know, Nietzsche and, and Jeremy Bentham and, and uh, right. Freud, you know, we can talk. And all those came, came together, Darwin, and kind of reshaped how we think about man and how we think about God. And that that reshaping just just changed everything and led to incredible evilness. Okay, so so as you're speaking here, I'm 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 seeing uh, a major difference between the scenario that I posited, which again uh, was not to promote or condemn any American political party, but really more to talk about the pragmatic aspect for you. To, it sounds like, Gabriel, tell me if I understand you correctly. It sounds like for you, there was no pragmatic argument that would have convinced you to join up with this group no. because you specific, this is beyond American political parties. No. This is beyond any ideology that's current here. This was, as you put it, pure evil out of the pit of hell. And to align yourself with this group uh, would actually, it sounds like you would have viewed it as a, a compromise with a form of right. idolatry. Right. Is well, that fair? I mean, the the uh, okay, let me tell you another story. I was uh, I just graduated high school, okay, uh, and um, I was I was so passionate about sharing my faith. So with with a couple of my friends, every day at the lake we went out and and was sharing Christ with with strangers. We sat down and we had talks, and and we had a a little four spiritual laws that we we. We copied on typewriters because there were no way to to print things in Hungary. So we had to even even the typewriters were numbered by the government. So that's <laughs> a story. But so they would they would kind of look it back. So what happened is that that you know I got arrested because I was sharing my faith. They came to our home. They they searched for Bibles. They interrogated us. They kicked me out from from uh, you know from the seminary and because the seminary was controlled by the government um, so i mean it, it was a, a complete chaos but but for me you know when, when i was i was at the you know the police told me that you you know they interrogated me and and, and i was what almost 19 18 and 19 and they said mm -hmm. Yo, you can't go up to people and talk about your faith that's illegal and i said well you know i i think i need to obey to God, rather than you, <laughs> right. and and, and the, you know there were there were consequences, but but listen, I'm what I'm 53 years old, and I'm here, mm. okay. So, and I'm happy that and uh, that I did not compromise, and I know a lot of people who did not compromise, but I know some, or I know, well, I know unfortunately many, who did compromise, and you know, decades later, they do credit. Hmm. It was, it was not the, it was, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not me or us to judge anybody on that. Right. It's where their faith is. And, and it's actually God's, you know, it was a God given grace 
to me at that point and to a couple of my friends that we had the clarity and the boldness or the ignorance, <laughs> you know, just to not to think about the consequences. Yeah. But it, it was it was just clear. And and I know it's much harder for people who had, who had you know, I was young, I I'd had nothing to lose. But for someone who has family, who has a job, who has kids to provide for, that, that that's a whole different ballgame. And and but I know a lot of people who did not compromise, mm. and phenomenal stories, uh, and and they never regretted that they did not compromise. So this might be a good time to segue because you mentioned you moved to the United States four years ago and you called yourself, I think it was a frightened observer. Is that right? Right. <laughs> so, um, Gabor, as I, you know, I follow you on social media. I see your posts on Facebook and, um, I, I love them. I, I love the boldness that you share with. I mean, you're, you're very outspoken about your belief in the gospel, in your uh, belief in concepts like liberty. And it makes sense for someone who grew up in the kind of situation that you did and experienced the things that you did living under communism, it makes sense that you would be now so zealous for liberty and for freedom. And then, of course, as a follower of Jesus Christ and an evangelist, I know you want to put that out front and center as well. So my question is, why are you, why did you call yourself a frightened observer? Could you talk about that? Let's, yeah. let's talk about what are you observing now in the United States and what makes you frightened or what has you concerned about what you're observing? Well, uh, okay. I mean, you know, I'm always very cautious to say anything about, you know, U.S. history or, or I mean, my observations could be completely off. Okay. All I'm saying, because, because I don't know your history and I don't share your story. I, I did not grow up here. But, um, but, uh, Let's imagine this, you go into a room full of people, okay? And as you enter into the room, immediately you noticed, you noticed the smell, okay? I mean, it happened to you, right? It's just like, gosh, I mean, we need to open the window here. And when, and when you tell people who are in the room that, hey guys, let's open the window because, because you know, it stinks here. And then they said, they look at you and then, no, it doesn't. Because they are in the room, used so to it. I feel a little bit that I am, I'm walking into to this closed room called the U.S. where you, where you guys are experiencing something, and and there are things that I I, I smell. It's just like mm -hmm. okay, one, the, what what do I smell? Well, two things. One one is that that there is a there is a, a, a very deliberate effort to redefine what man is. And we can talk, we need to talk about that. We need to come back to that. The second is that there is a very deliberate effort to disregard God. And, and those two things just changes the way people will think and, and, and the kind of structures we we follow. So, uh, for instance, those philosophers or those idea ideologies that um, that influenced 
the past century, the 20th century, has, and actually led to two world wars and led to the horror of communism and led to approximately 200 million people's violent death, all are rooted in, in four or five major philosophical ideas, including Marxism and you know, perspectivism, nihilism, which is Nietzsche, utilitarianism, which is Jeremy Bentham, uh, Darwinism, uh, Prideism, all those, the, the basic idea is this, that God is dead, okay? So it means we don't have a creator, we don't have an origin, we don't have a destiny, we don't have accountability. And the second, because God is dead, we have to redefine who man is. And that's where the problem comes. Okay, when, when we, we turn away from the, from the definition of man, okay, for instance, Marx, Marx defined man this way. You know, man is a product of a, of a, a materialistic, it, it's a product and a consumer of a materialistic society. And all he is, is, a, is an avatar or a representative of the class that he's part of, he's born into. So he's either an oppress, oppressor or an oppressed victim. And so all, it sounds very yeah, familiar. all the means of his life, it's in this fight, in this fight for power. Okay. For, or Darwin. Okay. Darwin said that man is nothing more than a, 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 ren, a product of a random, unintelligent, cruel uh, process called evolution. And he, he's just a, a sum of a biological cells. Right. Okay. So, so once we did, once we redefine man, then we redefine men's meaning, origin, purpose, destiny, and also the structure and society he lives in. Mm. These are all major worldview questions. So we're not just talking about an economic philosophy or a political philosophy. This goes down, this goes down to ontology, anthropology, metaphysics. What is the universe and what is our place in it? I mean, this, this is, this is uh, to the bone deep. This is this Absolutely. is root deep. But 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 we need to understand that all what we are facing right now, all this chaos and and confusion, it goes back to these two questions: who God is, or is there a God at all, and who man is. And once we take out God from the equation, then we we're forced to redefine man. And once we uh, once we redefine man. The definition will just put us on a trajectory. How, what kind of society we're going to live in? Okay. So, for instance, if if we follow what Nietzsche said, that you know, perspectivism and nihilism, you know, nothing is objective, and right. all we're we're coming from nothing and going to nothing, so everything is permissible because there is no God. So all all the essence of my existence is nothing more but just to enjoy the moment. Okay. And there's not an absolute value. I'm here just because of who knows why. And then, so that just redefines how I think and how I live. It, it's going to influence my relationships. If I'm nothing more than what Marx said, that I'm just, I'm just a representative of a class, and, and all my life is, is, a, is a strive for power and material possessions, 
then it's going to determine my, the meaning and also it will determine the means that I can use to gain power. You know, it's just like, okay, if the meaning of life is to, to gain power and material possessions, then I, then I have the right, every moral right, to take it from people who, who have. So, so, so all what we're facing right now in, in, the, in our mo modern world is, is, is the result of denying that we are the image of God and I mean, the, the Bible gives a very simple definition what man is or who man is. Fallen image. Hmm. Okay. We're image. We're image mirrors of God. And, and a couple of things come, come from that. Let, let me talk about that. But we are yes. also fallen. Okay. Fallen means that we are sinful. Okay. Marxists say we're not sinful. The system is sinful. Right. The system is broken. All the problem that I have, it's the system's fault. Other people's are making me a criminal. You know, I'm, I'm using drug. I'm going through abortion. I'm doing this and that because the system made me this. I'm the product of the oppressor system or the oppressing system. Well, the Bible says, no, you're sinful. What causes you to make abortion? That causes you to sleep with people that you should not sleep with. That causes you to, to steal and murder. That's one. The, so that, that's one thing that the Bible says. The other thing that we are image bearers. Now, image bearers of God means, well, it's really interesting. The Bible starts with these three words. In the beginning, God. Mm. So the definition of man starts with God. Okay, so without God, we can't define man because that sets our origin. Now, how do we how do we carry out and reflect God's image? Well, there are a couple of things that only men are able to do because we are the image bearers of, of God. You know, no other creatures in the world, in the whole universe, is, car is, is carrying the image of God. A couple of things. One is that we're able to think. We know that the animals are able to think, but we're able to think about what we're thinking about, and we're able to ask questions about what we think about. So the ability to think freely, it's a God-given character. The other, we're able to talk, communicate. God created the world with his word so word has power and god gave yeah. power to us free speech okay we have the ability and responsibility to make decisions okay that that's a god-given attribute we have the ability and the responsibility to build a relationship with our creator okay we we were we have the ability to be creative okay? because we reflect a creator who is creative. So the freedom to create, the freedom to innovate, it's something how we reflect God's image. So any philosophy and any ideology that tries to control us in free speech, in free innovation, in free uh, thinking, it's from the devil.
Because it denies the fundamental reality about what mankind is. Yes. And it, you know, it, 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 listen, the, the devil hates us. Yes, that's right. Because we, we carry God's image. Yeah. And, we, and we're fallen. He's fallen, but we have a salvation and he doesn't. We have yeah. a problem and he doesn't. It, it, really, it really is amazing. You can see how closely man's identity is linked with who God is. Because when you change one of those definitions, you inexorably change the other. So like in Eastern, uh, Eastern religions, you know, we are God. You, you take God out of the picture. You make God coexistent with the universe. You know, God is the cosmos, you know, Atman or um, uh, Brahman is all there is. Mm-hmm. And, and lo and behold, now we are God. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in materialism, we're just evolved beasts. And it's like you said, look, if God's dead, we're just evolved beasts, then uh, really it's whoever's in, in power kind of defines my identity my identity and purpose for life and uh and life becomes just about the struggle of throwing off that oppression you know in postmodernism we define ourselves because there is no objective god giving an objective truth and and the the amazing thing about all these different worldviews gabor is when you take god out of the picture or when you attempt to redefine god you ultimately always diminish what it means to be human Absolutely. In the name of exalting man, you end up becoming a slave to man. And Absolutely. and even those who are exalted in that, um, you know, like like Lenin, um, even so, okay, Lenin is treated like a god, but but man was not designed to be a god, and and Lenin, if he followed Christ, could have been a great man if he followed Christ, but he makes a lousy god. And yeah. so if you redefine him. He doesn't even live up to to what you're redefining him as. Oh no! It, it's so so. It's just it's just amazing to me. I'm I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm just thinking we we are shoddy God makers, and we're we're not good at coming up with substitutes for God. The biblical definition is best. It, not only is it true, but it ultimately leads to the best outcome in society. And you're saying Marxism denies God and therefore redefines man to our detriment. And, and and listen, once once we redefine, okay, once we deny God, and we think we're going to make man God, mm-hmm. then what happens? We think we do a great service to ourselves, elevating ourselves. But what happens? I and mean, look what happens. It just uh, we start to idol worship ourselves, and and now we're getting to a point where where we lose dignity. Where we lose, where we lose the value, the absolute value of human life. Now it's questioned because we decide who can be born. And now I'm reading an article uh, from a from a chief ethical medical doctor from Pennsylvania. Um, what's his name? I forgot. I can look it up. Ezekiel someone. Ezekiel Emanuel. Right. Yep. Rahm Emanuel's brother. Rahm Emanuel was the mayor of Chicago for several years, and this is and, his brother. And 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 he says that that you can decide you should have the freedom to decide that you can you know you don't give vaccine or antibiotics after age of 75 because you're just a burden for the society anyway right. I mean, that's that's the logic the nazis followed that all those handicapped people they're just a burden on society so we don't need to respect their life right but right. if if man it was created for the image of god every single human life is valuable 
and there's an undeniable, undeniable lot, you know, value, uh, an unalienable uh, value for life. So, so the process, you know, where are we going to stop? Okay, are we going to say, well, abortion is okay, but no, it's not right to actually not give medicine after 75. Hmm. Okay, well, but, but the next time we're going to say, oh, um, maybe it's it, it just too much burden on society. Now this, this, okay, well, that kind of thinking, what, what Ezekiel Emmanuel represents, it, it's rooted in uh, the utility, utility, utilitarian philosophy established by Jeremy Bentham, because he said, and I mean, it's ridiculous. It all goes back to these these major philosophies in the 18th and 19th century. Right. He took out God and said that God does not exist. All these fouls. You know, he said that the 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 highest good is to avoid the pain and to seek the happiness of men. Okay. This is you're talking about Jeremy Bentham, right? Yes. Okay. So so we say that that okay. Um, but he says that well, what is the highest good? Well, the highest good is the highest good for all the society. Right. So if 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 we have to achieve the highest good by sacrificing some people and cause harm for some individuals, mm -hmm. we have the right to do it. But Jesus says no. Why? Because he came to die for the person and not yes. for the society. Yes, the individual, um, uh, under godless systems, the individual gets subsumed into the group. Right. And you actually lose your individuality. And and is that what you experienced when you were growing up in Hungary? Did you Absolutely. experience the loss of individuality? You, you, it, it doesn't matter who you are. You're just a you're just a part of a huge machine, and you just need to play a little role. Okay. Don't try to stick out. Don't you know? Don't be innovative. Don't try to strive too much. We just need to be a. You just need to be a good comrade. You know, a, a, a good little pioneer and just fit in the system and build the system because the highest good is the common good. But God created the person to reflect his image, not the society. God, Jesus died for the individual, not for the society. And man lives forever, not the society. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so Gabor, um, it, could you maybe um, talk to us about as you've you've laid a great groundwork for the philosophical basis of communism and you've talked about your own experience and you've mentioned that you're a frightened observer right now could you talk to us about what are the ways you see marxism or communism encroaching into the united states right now um specifically and then why do you think marxism and communism and socialism are making these inroads in the West, in you know, in a society that has historically been against these ideals, and I and I I understand you're you're coming in as an observer from outside, um, but just you know, off the cuff, just sort of what you've observed. How do you see it encroaching? And um, as someone who works with a lot of people, you do a lot of evangelism. Why do you see these ideas beginning to take hold? Okay, well, I mean, uh, definitely, I see in the in the education system. Uh, in, in the U.S. that that there are ideas and and books 
again, philosophies, ideologies promoted that are very, you know, rooted in, in let's put it this way, rooted in, in an anti-God philosophy. Mm. That, that um, the way people talk about individual and, and, and the narrative that I hear everywhere uh, is that the way people talk about victimhood oppressor and oppressed groups the that you're i mean one one prominent thing and you know i'm i'm, I'm not an expert on that i'm, I'm still a reader and studier of that mm. so don't ask me detailed questions but like critical race theory it's a very communist idea okay i mean i mean when when you're nothing more but the representative of a class and you lose your individual responsibility and you're identified just by your color hmm. okay uh, to to be a part of a group that's a fundamentally marxist idea okay um the i don't know how far this is gonna go i mean i i i, I don't know but but it's it's frightening to to see how many young people are buying into the the idea that well really it's it's not your individual responsibility, but but if something is wrong with with my life, it's it's always others. It's always the system. It's it's like Adam pointing to Eve and Eve pointing to to the serpent, or and then and then Eve pointing you know pointing to Adam pointing to God. God, right. you created the system. Right. It's a bad right. system. It's the ultimate blaming the system. Yeah. Right. You created a system where I could where I had the opportunity to sin. Mm. So it's your fault. You know, so we're not going to have one, one millisecond before the throne of God to say, I have sinned because of that person or because of the system. All we can say, I have sinned because of me. It's, it's my sinful heart. I wanted to sleep around. I coveted this and that. I, you know, I was bitter and 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 uh, I was envious and all that. So we need to now. I do not deny that there are problems in the system, but there are problems in the system because men are sinful. Sinful people are building sinful systems. So what's the solution? The solution is what Christ offers. Well, let's redeem sinful men, so they would be, have the capacity and the ability and the skills to build better systems. So if that what I see right now, there is a lot of attempts to change the system from the outside. But if you don't change the man of heart, I mean, we're just going to keep repeating this, the same sinful systems. Right. And that's why Jesus came and said, you need to change your heart needs to be changed. That's why he's not going after Caesar and try to change the whole social system but he said you need to repent and you need to change and as you change there's going to be a whole different system built up because then you recognize so now what i see well this system is wrong this system is wrong this system is wrong so we attack the system but we don't change the man so what happens there's a war okay and and uh and and people justify all kinds of means to win the war and it leads to a, a greater division. Right. 
Right, right. Now, the, right. the, the one, one other thing, and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm still saying this fearfully, but, but I'm still saying that. You guys in America have no idea uh, how good, how privileged you are. In, I mean, the whole nation. I mean, right. I, I, I know I know a lot. I mean, I hear a lot of stories about all kinds of problems. Yeah. You know, and, and, it, and they exist. I don't deny that. But go to other countries and and you will see, oh, my goodness. I mean, I mean, still, we can be there are so many things you can be thankful for so many. And you still need to strive for much better systems. I, I, I understand that. Okay. Yeah. But to say that the whole country is, you know, terrible, it, it's just not true. So Gabor, as a minister of the gospel, you've been, you, you grew up in a communist nation. I know you've done work because I've heard some of the epic stories from you and Dave about your ministry in East Asia and, um, and other parts of the world. So, I'm I'm familiar with um, what you know some of the work you are, you guys have done. My question is this: as a minister of the gospel, how do you see the gospel as the answer to both the encroachment of Marxism and Marxist thought, and to the problems that Marxism purports to be able to solve? So. Marxism wouldn't be gaining ground if people didn't think that its ideas sounded like a good remedy toward, you know, injustice and things like that, right? So we really have two different battles to fight. We've got to fight Marxism, which leads to so much death and, and communism, collectivism. But we also, we want, it's like you said, we want to create good systems so that socialism can't come in and sound appealing because we have a better alternative. So how do you see the gospel of Jesus Christ or the biblical worldview, or the Christian message, able to come in as both the antidote to Marxism and the antidote to injustice. And then after this, uh, we had a couple of questions come in, so maybe maybe you could uh, well, wow. address that. These are you know, difficult and easy questions. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the, the easy the easy part is that that the redemption. Okay, Jesus wants to redeem everything that we bring to Him. So everything brought to the cross will be redeemed, okay? But first and foremost, we need to recognize that we need to bring ourselves to the cross, okay? We need to be redeemed, okay? I need to be redeemed from my sinful nature. And that the, the change, every change, every, every major change starts within and with me. So that, that's the... That's why I think the ultimate solution is the proclamation of the gospel, because the gospel is good news. It's a it's a message of the salvation that the God wants to reconcile with us. And once we're reconciled in our most important relationship with God, okay, our our vertical relationship is reconciled, then God can heal our horizontal relationships through the re redemption. But if we keep just focusing on the horizontal and and we don't reconcile our relationship with God, then all it's going to be, it's a fight. Who is right? 
who's wrong, you know, all, who has right for this and who has right for that. So, so that that's number one. The number two, we need to we need to understand, and we need to embrace the biblical view of man of manhood and mankind, which means that God created all of us equal before his eyes, but he has not created us uniform. Okay. So we are we're equally loved, we're equally representing his and reflecting his image. But he created a very beautifully diverse universe where we have different talents, different giftings, different drives. You know, one guy is very talented in music. One guy is very, or one girl is very talented in, in painting. Uh, you know, I could never paint. Okay. I mean, we each have a, a unique contribution to a beautiful world. But if I covet and try to get what someone else achieved, then, then we're going to start fighting. And, and so, so the question now, if, if there is a system that, that systematically pushes me back and takes away my opportunities, well, we need to address that. And, and, you know, I, I lived under such system, but, but right. you know, what's interesting, I never focused on, you know, throw, you know, overthrowing the system. I never wanted to overthrow the system. I wanted I remember that every Friday morning I went up to the hill on the on the Galler Hill in Budapest. Every Friday morning at six a.m. in the morning, and I was praying for the city. You know, uh, for ten years. Wow. And and only it's about Lord bring revival. Bring her. I never prayed, Lord. You know, bring down communism. Hmm. That was that was not the prayer. The prayer was to change the people's heart because they need eternal salvation. Right. That's the solution. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and I think if we would start focusing on the eternal solution, the eternal un injustice, which is the greatest injustice that people are going to hell. Hmm. And that's once we address that and we focus on that, God is going to start healing our land. Injustice in terms of the, the worst possible outcome. Well, the eternal. It, I mean, hell. Right. Hell. Right. It just well, I mean, probably I shouldn't have called it injustice because we deserve it. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. We deserve it, but we don't want to go there. We don't want our neighbors to go there. No. And if we're going to do anything to alleviate suffering, to foster human well-being and flourishing, you know, so you know that's really interesting because uh, you were talking about Jeremy Bentham earlier. Je Jeremy Bentham. Did I get his name right? Yes. You got it. And you were talking about, you know, his sort of utilitarianism, um, which tries, purports to foster the greatest well-being for the most amount of people. Well, Gabor, it seems to me like that's exactly what, what we have in the gospel. Right. The greatest outcome, the, the most human flourishing for the greatest number of people would be, it's outlined in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and and behold, I am with you always. Jesus promises to be with us on our mission. He promises to be with those whom we 
baptized and make into disciples. And there's no greater outcome in the world than for an individual to become a follower of Jesus Christ and to experience Christ. And there's no greater outcome for a nation than for that nation to experience revival right. and and uh, revitalization through Christ. But it happens through the Jesus going after the one. Yes, okay. yes. And, and because we underestimate the power of God in the individual's life. And that's what, that's what he wants to show every single person that once we invite him into our life, the change he can do, it's, it's unbelievable. And he wants to, he wants to lead us through walking on water. And <laughs> yeah. He wants us to do the impossible with the nothing we have. And because he wants to, he wants us to witness him. And when we do that, we realize that what he gave us, the abilities, the skills, the drive, the opportunities, through that, he he is going to make us, build us up and create yeah. a better system for everybody. Amen. Uh, so, Gabor, we had a question come in, and this is from Nate Werner. So, Nate, if you're still watching... Um, Actually, everyone watching live right now, so if you're listening later on via the audio podcast, sorry this doesn't apply to you, although you can email me at thethink.institute at gmail.com. But if you're watching live, go ahead and drop a comment in the comment uh, section, but it only works if you're on the Think Institute page or YouTube channel. If you're posting in another group, I won't see it, unfortunately. So go on over. I'll give you a second right now. Go on over to the Think Institute page. And while you're doing that, drop your comment. I'm going to uh, pull up this question from Nate Werner. And here's what he has to say. Now, he posted this before we got started. So he says, maybe it's too early, but what can we do in America right now as Christians to avoid it becoming a communist state? Wow. This is a very, very loaded question. Yeah. Um, but, um, hmm. You know, on, on a personal level, you know, what I did, uh, I was under communism. I was praying. I mean, really took prayer very seriously and sharing the gospel. I mean, just wherever you go, share the joy of of God's love, and that just that it's that it's uh, infectious. I mean, it's I mean I've I don't know how how systems can be changed. I'm I'm too I'm too small for that. I mean I I cannot. Yeah. Now the the other thing. You know, the truth needs to be to be boldly represented. I mean, I see, you know, I was reading the other day, Second Thessalonians 2.10 says that they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. So we need to proclaim the truth of the gospel. I mean, that's, that's going to be the the ultimate solution, I, I believe. I, I don't think social activism, it's gonna be the solution for the problems of this nation. Really? So so for you, I mean, Gabor, that's, that's, a, that's a very simple uh, remedy. Boldly represent the truth and share the gospel. And, and pray, and pray. 
and pray. Okay. How how should we be praying in particular? Well, I mean, what what I prayed for, uh, I remember up in the hill, was, uh, you know, praying through the city was revival. Mm. That people would get to know the truth. That that we I know that the devil is walking around and deceiving people. Lord, lift up the curtain that just hinders them to see. And um, I don't I don't know I don't know if, if the U.S. is in a spiral where where you need to go down and spiral down and experience the pit, you know, the bottom of the pit, and and um, and then come back and say, oh gosh, this is really terrible. We should not, we should never go there. I don't know where this is going to lead to. Honestly, I'm not very optimistic. Hmm. And and one of the reasons I'm not very optimistic is that because the church embraced more and more of the social gospel and less and less the true gospel. Right. If, if the church would be Boldly just proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and and would we we're just way too political, on both sides. Yeah, on yeah. both sides. We wanted to step back and 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 talk to the individual and and rescue individuals to to and because listen, just think about this. I think C.S. Lewis writes this in. Uh, uh, in the mere Christianity, is that in from eternity, we're going to look back while we're still going to be alive, you know, living. And America is just going to be a, a, a moment in history. Right. And our nations are going to be a moment of history. So rescuing the nation is not the key question. Right. Rescuing souls for eternity. That's the key question. That that is the winning perspective. Yes, I think that's the winning perspective. I think you're absolutely right. That's so helpful because I remember when in that passage in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says something like, "You've never met a mere mortal." Right. The yes. the people that you interact with on a daily basis are either going to be, on the one hand, something so beautiful and glorious, you know, uh, a million years from now, that if you saw them today, you'd be tempted to worship them as gods. That's how glorious they're going to be. Or they're going to be something so hideous, you would mistake them for demons. We're all on that path, one way, one direction or the other. And the nation is mortal. You alluded to this earlier. The right. nation itself is mortal. People are immortal. As right. Christians holding to the biblical perspective, we have to believe that and we have to live like that. And, and that's that's our highest calling, and and you know so so change the perspective. Yeah. Don't think about America. That's good. Think about the individuals. Think about the person rescuing souls for eternity. That's our mission. And once that's our mission, maybe perhaps the Lord is going to have mercy on yeah. us as a nation. Yeah, we don't deserve it, but that's why it's mercy. Right. right. Yeah. Man, uh, uh, that, that's that's really good. That's very sobering, Gabor. I appreciate that. Um, and listen, folks, you heard this coming from a man who grew up under communism. He knows what it's like. He knows where it leads. He knows um, he knows uh, who 
who suffers under it, which, which is basically everyone except for a very, very small few at the top. And even they are, uh, you know, they make shoddy gods. And so you want the biblical solution? You want the Christian answer to fighting communism? It's not social activism. It's evangelism. Now, I, I, might, um, I might put forward an idea that says something like, look, if we can fight to end abortion, I think we should. Oh, if yeah. we can, if we can fight for for just laws that are going to keep people alive, that are going to lead to the flourishing of the gospel, if we are able to do that, um, Gabor, I see you nodding your head. It sounds like you agree with that. Absolutely. Um, and anything, as I said earlier, anything that that supports the image of God. Yes. Okay. We are for that. Yes. And we need to stand up for that. Yes. Okay. We had one one more comment come in here. Um, first of all, uh, Nate Warner, who answered, who asked that question, he says, I have to cut out. Please tell Gabor, thanks. Thank you for the encouragement. I'll be praying for God to turn my heart towards this. So that's great. Nate, thank you for sharing that. Um, we have another question from, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, PHT Jan 12. This is a comment coming in on YouTube. I think we're going to have to make this the last comment or the last question. Um, so here's the question. How are you seeing Marxism infiltrate the church in the U.S.? You know, that's a good question, Gabor, because you alluded to that. You said that the church is accepting communism or Marxism. How exactly are you seeing that happen? Yeah, I don't know if, if deliberately they accept it, and probably they would deny this sentence that I just said. But I see signs that the narrative that they choose and, and the philosophy they embrace is communist some some are communist or uh, marxist this is what i mean when when they embrace that the problem the root of the problem is the system and not the the state of man heart uh, and and they they say well we need to the, our main job as a church to address the system and not address the the, the lostness of, of human heart. Right. That's where I see narratives like social justice. Okay. Right. I mean, there's a difference between social justice and biblical justice. Right. Okay. So the, the social justice is attacking is is social justice sees the the root problem in the system. Biblical justice sees the root problem in the heart of man. Right, right. Okay. So, you know, we can't address this, the problem of the, uh, in the system until we, we always address the heart of the problem. That's one. The other is that we cannot give a free pass for people uh, who are so-called victimized by the system saying that that they are not responsible for their own sin. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I hear a lot of talk about, this is another observation, and I don't want to get into the whole abortion thing because that's a whole other ballgame, but... We talk about that a lot, actually, on this right, show. But, We're but, against it. But, yeah. you know, when, when I hear that, and actually I saw a comment uh, from, a, from a, a prominent Christian influencer that... You know, he put he put abortion and 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 systemic problems kind of into one package, hmm. and and 
it, it seems like abortion happens because of the systemic problems. No, abortion does not happen because of systemic problems. It happens because you're sleeping around with people you should not sleep with. Mm. It happens because you live an ungodly life. You don't live your, you know, your sexual life is not in in the in the in the boundary within the boundaries that the Bible tells us. So of course that leads to, but to say that there are so many abortions because there's poverty, there's uh, I mean, I don't think we're going to be able to to say this before the Lord that well I killed my child because I lived in poverty. No, right. you killed your child because you were sleeping around. You know that. Um, so what you just addressed, Gabor, is I think a great answer to one of the questions that I was going to to bring up to you. And that was just simply, is it Marxism about caring for the oppressed? And I was, I was also going to ask you, is Marxism actually biblical? And I think that you answered that because Marxism, communism, socialism, all these collectivist views, they really do place the, the individual, they get rid of the individual, uh, break everybody up into, into groups and then blame the system for oppressing that group in their, in their various intersectional, um, you know, interactions. So it's all about the system and dismantling the system and replacing it with a new one rather than the biblical answer, which is the problem is in our heart. As I think, uh, Chesterton said, or no, no, maybe, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he said, uh, the yeah. line between good and evil so runs evil. right through the middle of, the, of every human heart. Right. But, but look at Marxism is never about caring the oppressed. Never. Oh, it's a complete lie. Okay. Marxism is about power. It's about, it's, power. A, it's about power. what? Power. 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 Who has the power? I want to have the power. Power, power in Marxism equals material possession. Mm. Okay. So it's, it's all because it's a materialistic worldview. It's all about the more material possessions you can have, the more power you're going to have. Right now, if you don't have, it's all about the system. Now, I'm, I'm not denying there could be and there are, you know, glitches in the system. Sure. I mean, that needs to be changed and needs to be addressed. But to say for me that I, I have all the means because, you know, under communism, we were we were oppressed. Okay, everything was taken from us, literally everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, so uh, then do I have the right to go and steal from others because it was stolen from me? No, I don't. Okay, and that's the difference. Okay, and, and, and that, that's just, and that's what people don't understand, that I'm morally obligated regardless of how the system system treated me, but uh, uh, to to live up to God's standard. Now, I still I still need to address, you know, that was an unjust system. We never get compensation for all the stolen, uh, you know, possessions and all the murdered lives. Mm. Okay? But it did not justify me so I could go and, you know, rob stores or or, you know, stole from people and stuff like that. I cannot do that. Yeah. But Marxism says, well, you have the right to do that because you were oppressed. 
Why? Because they see that the ultimate goal of life is material possession. Whatever you can possess, that's the goal of life. Wow. And that, that goes back again to the idea of redefining man and then redefining God, or, or, or usually it's in the opposite order. Um, so just going to throw this comment up from Freddie Sapp coming in on YouTube. He says, the apostasy of this church age will lead to compromise of God's word, which will lead to a falling away of our nation. Um, Freddie, one thing I just want to say to that is um, if you're a Christian, if you're just starting to watch this episode, I encourage you to go back about five to 10 minutes and see what Gabor said about how we fight communism, not through social activism, but by sharing the gospel, boldly representing the truth and praying for revival. Um, Gabor, I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to surrender. Uh, I'm, not re I'm not ready to say, well, the church you know, gave in and gave up. And uh, I guess that's all she wrote. I guess that's all for me. I'm thinking, man, this is why this is why we do what we do through church movements is we want to equip the church to multiply, right. to to share the gospel, to invest the gospel in people's hearts and right. lives, because we do believe that is how real change will happen. And so um, we have some other comments coming in, but uh, Gabor, as we begin to wrap up, how can people follow you? How can people learn more about youth at the threshold of life or follow church movements or, uh, you know, just if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, I mean, if, if you go on the, on the website, churchmovements.com, plural, um, you're going to see what we do uh, with church movements and how we equip people to share the gospel and multiply the church. And under uh, our staff, you're going to find my bio and my contact information as well. So you can contact me and, and send an email. So um, that's that's the easiest way to to follow. Um, but but I, I really believe that, you know, I, I don't want to see, you know, things seems gloomy and and probably as challenging as never before right now in 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 the in the US I mean this is really an unprecedented moment uh, in history and um, it's so vital for the church to stand up be bold represent the truth in a loving clear and and bold um, way the truth of the gospel and the healing power of the gospel. So uh, that that's why that's why I moved here because I uh, that I see that what happens in the U.S. right now impacts the whole world so much, so much. So this is the the heart and the we're at the core of the mission field right now, where we need to change the trajectory of the U of, of the church in the U.S. And, 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 and that, that's one, one last thought. I don't think the solution is going to come from the government. The solution is going to come from the, from the body of Christ. Amen. We are the key players in that. Yes. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I know, you know, some half of America is happy right now. The other half is, you know, in despair because of the election. But don't put your trust in that. And don't right. put your hope in that. Put your hope in the work of the gospel through the the church and the redemptive work of the gospel through the church. And once we're focusing on that, God can do 
incredible things. Amen. Yeah, one of the things that um, I've heard said, and I like to say, is that politics is downstream from culture, and culture is downstream from religion. And so God's really placed us as followers of Christ in a very powerful position. He's given us a lot of talents, so to speak. If you think about the parable of the talents, we have the ability to actually change hearts. Something that culture cannot do, something that politics cannot do. And it's something that we cannot do apart from the, the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. But he's given those to us. So, um, Gabor, thank you so much for, for this conversation, man. I, I, thank you. You know, it's, it's one I've been looking forward to for a long time. I know we can probably talk about this for, um, for you know, hours on end. But I just want to encourage you guys, uh, if you are watching right now, if you're watching live, or if you're listening later to the audio podcast, and you have a question, email me at thethink.institute at gmail.com. Um, I will I will get that email and uh, I do my best to respond to those as quickly as I can. I do get questions that come in. Um, if you email me questions, uh, Pastor Rafe and I are actually going to be doing a mailbag episode of Worldview Wednesday tomorrow. We had a couple of questions come in we're going to try to address. Um, Gabor told you how to contact him by going to churchmovements.com. And let me just do a quick plug here because my family and I, the Think Institute, we are crew missionaries, as is Gabor. And one of the things about a missionary, what they say is, once you're fully funded, you'll never be fully funded again. So we need like-minded ministry partners. Um, we covet the support of like-minded individuals, churches, uh, followers of Jesus Christ. We need your prayer support and your financial support. If this is something that you believe that the Lord might be leading you to do, you can go to give.crew.org slash 1018841. That's my family's giving page through crew. And I got to tell you, any amount would be greatly appreciated. We do rely on uh, support from you all to keep the ministry going. Also, if you want to support Gabor and the mission that he is on with his family, by all means, get in touch with him through churchmovements.com because he's like me. We rely on support from you folks. So really appreciate that. Thank you for watching. This is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. I certainly hope you found something that was helpful to you. I know I did. So until next time, I hope it made you think.